Hello and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast put on by three really classy dudes, and that's why we call it Classical Stuff You Should Know. We're going to talk about some classy things today. We're going to talk about tuxedos. We're going to talk about champagne, champagne, and chandeliers, and all the classiest stuff we can think of, and marble flooring. and to talk about all these classy things is the classiest man himself. Cedar Mr. Closets. Mr. Cedar Closets. It's a pleasure to have you. No, we have uh, joining us as always, Mr. Graham Donaldson. Boys. And Mr. A.J. Hannenberg. Uh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> that, that sure is. And I am Thomas Magby. No, actually, we have something even better in store for you today. Mr. A.J. Hannenberg is going to be singing some of his favorite songs. And I believe they're by uh, this artist, uh, Roland. So, yeah, Roland. Uh, Roland. He's very, Roland. he's related to Timbaland. Timbaland, Roland. And it is, do you want, actually, what are the, what are the titles of some of the songs you'll be singing today? Uh, Blood in the Plains of Spain. Okay, that's one of my favorites. And uh, Armor Cloven in Twain. Okay. He likes to rhyme, that's this guy. All of his and uh, Pagan's Dead in Pain. Wow. Oh, wow. Jeez. This is a dark Jeez, album. So maybe, well. It's uh, metal. Yeah. Buckle up for metal. Yep. <laughs> and fellas, we are, this is the first podcast of our new Iron Man streak. Yeah, we <laughs> missed. Yeah, I had, I was going to bring that up. So we missed last week, as you may have noticed. And that the only time that we could get together to record we all showed up at the place where we record and all the doors were locked with all our microphones inside so it was a sad day yeah so recording didn't happen and we are hoping you and we would just didn't us. have we just couldn't do it so for those of you who didn't know what to do um <laughs> please email us or tweet at us to tell us what you did with your gained hour mm, yes. this past week how did you spend your ill-gotten gains of time. Well, more like 30 minutes. Ill-gotten? They didn't ill-got them. We ill-got we, them. Well, whoever locked the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Timers. Or if you listen to two times speed, it was only 30 minutes. That you oh, fair point. Week. Fair, yeah, that's true. Fair. And also, you guys look very well hydrated for being in a water crisis in Austin, Texas. Yeah, for anyone who's not in Austin, we've had to boil our water for the last week. Has been that long. It's true. We've quickly de- uh, devolved into Mad Max. You mm-hmm. can't see us because this is a podcast, but we are wearing... Um, full Mad Max regalia. I don't have a shirt on. Uh, AJ doesn't have a shirt on. Thomas is playing a guitar that spits fire. I'm I'm clad mostly in car bumpers. <laughs> yep. So shoulder pads. And I'm really cool. I am just head to toe covered in like white powder and gasoline and gasoline. <laughs> it doesn't sound very safe. It is not. But this is our dystopian future. Yeah. Well, welcome um, to the dystopia. So welcome to Thunderdome, to Thunderdome. listeners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys been holding up in the water crisis? Doing okay? It's been fine. It's, yeah. yeah. I've been amazed how many people buy water when all you need to do is boil it. Like, I was thinking water the same ain't thing. free. I, when we're you not buy trying it. to insult any water of our is listeners free when out you boil there it. who went and bought stuff at, you know, the store. But the first day it happened, there was a huge line at Costco, and I was just thinking, you guys know you have stoves, right? Yeah. Like, yep. You, you don't yeah. have to wait in it line for two my mind. hours. We we boiled some, but we also bought some. So sorry, it's more convenient just to buy the. No, water. I I get you, but I'm not going to wait two hours in right, line right, to do right, it. I'm going to boil until the lines go down, and then I'm going to get some water. Yeah. But yeah. I, I guess as of when this is posted, hopefully that boil notice is done with. That's right. Lifted. Right? Yep. Hopefully. Yeah. The the biggest, honestly, the biggest inconvenience for me has been brushing my teeth. Mm. It's easy to forget. Yeah. It's a good point. Not forget. Just like it's more complicated when you got to pour water from a pitcher, put it in a glass, do the whole thing. It's just sure. tougher. Yeah. Bummer. And now we are way off topic. So let's talk well, about. You tell the, me. You it's your episode. Let's talk about the song of Roland. The song of Roland, I'm not actually going to sing any songs. It was Bummer. It was probably originally sung, just like many of the epics were originally sung, to happy people in a 
the court of some kingdom wearing very fancy robes, eating very fancy food mm-hmm. by a guy who's really good at music. It's probably what happened. This song we hear was probably actually also sung to troops to encourage them. Uh, I think in the year 1066, we kind of hear about this or some some their whereabouts. Really? This is... Battle of Hastings? Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, one of the reasons we know it's kind of where it's dated is because we hear legends of it being sung. Hmm. So this this is a, a poem about Charlemagne. It's written in Old French. And it, I think, I could be wrong here, but I think it is the oldest example of French literature that exists, right? It's an That's old cool. French book. Cool. And it's epic in every sense. It's about, you Will know, you kings reading? and battles and that sort of thing. Will you be reading it from the original French? No, unfortunately, I only know un peu of French. <laughs> well done, thank you. Right, I took French. I know, I know really? un peu. I Je parle un peu français. Je n'ai pas pas. How good was that? Thank you. It was pretty good, actually. I hope everyone is cringing right now. Thank you. Yeah, so I I did not read in the original French. I read the translation by uh, Patricia Terry. It's pretty good. I've, this is the second version I've read. The first I read on Kindle. That version was also good. Did you read the Dorothy Sayers translation? Uh, probably on Kindle, yeah. yeah. I can't. I didn't go back to look. I wanted a hard copy for this one so I could take notes. Have you read that one before? Yeah, Graham? that's the only one I've read. Is it good? Um, it is the only one I've read. Okay, good. The best one so you've read? I don't know. It's, the best. it's definitely the best I've read. <laughs> So this book is based on a real-life thing that happened in the year 778. And here's the actual story read from the introduction of the version that I have. So two centuries before the Battle of Hastings, Charles, not yet emperor or the great, so he's still a young fella, 37 years old with a mustache instead of a flowing white beard, led an expedition into Spain. Had things gone as planned, a region including Barcelona and Saragossa would have come under Frankish rule. But the first target, Saragossa, resisted, and Charles returned to France. In the Pyrenees, the baggage train and rear guard of his army were lost to treacherous local Christians. Egenherd, Charles's biographer, states that one Hrudlandus, prefect of occupied Brittany, was killed. That's the story. Okay. So that, that, <laughs> That's it. That's what happened. They went into Spain. They lost their army and then lost a dude? They I don't think they lost an army. They went, and they're like, we're going to take your town. And the town's like, no, we're not. And they said, okie doke. And they went back to France and lost the rear guard because some Christians flipped on them. But it was the treachery. The treachery was probably what made the story like like stick in your craw. Yeah, and something over time somehow it got a little more grandiose. And instead of treacherous Christians that attacked the rear guard, it became pagans. And the battles got more grandiose and more people got involved. Gotcha. And eventually it became more of the kind of epic that you would expect. And so so the Charles, version, the oh. version we have is mm-hmm. more epic than what actually happened. Oh, far okay. more. Oh, so yeah. Charles the Great is Char- how we, who we know as Charlemagne, right? Charlemagne, and I call him affectionately Charlie as I read. <laughs> I think of him as Charlie, and then I Char- roll into the primary Charlie. one of the primary characters. <laughs> I name him Roly. He bit my fango. His, <laughs> his his best friend Oliver or Olivier Ollie. in the French. Mm. I called him Ollie. Good. So Charlie, Roly, and Ollie, the three <laughs> boys, uh, go <laughs> off into Spain. So what, here's the general story. Let me give you kind of... Of the epic. uh, An overview of the epic here. So the song opens when the gentlemen have been seven years in Spain campaigning for its subduction, subduement, defeat. That, okay. Yeah, they've been trying to take over Spain. Good. So they've been there for seven years. The last holdout is Saragossa. And it is ruled by a king named Marsile? In the English version I have, Can probably I something more like Marseille or Marcellus. Can I just say, subduction is the sideways and downwards movement of the edge of a plate of the Earth's crust into the mantle beneath another plate. That's oh, that's exactly, exactly what I meant. That was what we were going for. <laughs> so yeah, 100%. That was it's the right, an analogy. That was a word. Yeah, it's a metaphor. It, yes. I thought I invented a word. Rats. Was, I almost had it, one. It's a very good word. 
So they've been campaigning for a really long time. And the book opens with King Marsile in Saragossa, who is a pagan. He worships Apollo, uh, mm. Targ, Targ, Tarvagant, and who's the last one? Muhammad. So those are the three. Seems like an eclectic mix. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like whoever wrote it had no, no idea. idea about Islam. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is probably right. Yeah, or maybe <laughs> what was going like, on in uh, Spain Apollo, was... I've heard the name Muhammad kick around a couple times, and probably let's throw in, you know, I don't know, this other guy. Yeah, Tarvagant. So, Thomas, if you look up Tarvagant, <laughs> he's the only one I'm kind of unfamiliar with. I don't know. Or maybe what happened was the king was like, boys, we need some gods. You guys go find me some idols. Yeah. So they found some idols and they collected them. Anyway, that's what's going on. They worship those three guys. In the story. In the story, mm-hmm. they're fully pagan and they have a meeting. And King Marsal says, look, we can't defeat this fella. Charles mm-hmm. is just going nuts. There's no way we can overtake him. We will surely die if we resist. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? So the, his nobles come up with a plan. They say, here's, here's our plan. We're going to say, we're going to give you gifts and gold. We'll give you camels laden with gold. Just a gazillion camels and donkeys and gold and all sorts of stuff. If you'll leave us alone, we'll be your vassals. You'll be in charge, mm. sure. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, we will give you hostages, our sons. Uh-oh. That sort okay. of thing. Yeah. So, like, really... It, to, to ensure that they won't double-cross him, gotcha. right? I can mm-hmm. give you gold and then come and kill you and take my gold, gold back. Sure. That's fine. But if you have my sons... But if you have my sons and I decide to go attack you, you can kill them all. Yeah. And then we will swear, moreover, to meet him on Michael's Day to become Christians. That's, uh, that's what we're going to do. That's September 29th. How do you know that? Michael Mass. Cool. <laughs> That's cool. I'm very impressed. I didn't yeah, know you. we're yeah. impressed. That's what they do. So they send an envoy to King Charles as he is there preparing to attack. Uh-huh. And they say, here's what we want. We're going to give you some, some gold and some stuff. We're going to give you some hostages. We'll come and we'll meet and we'll take Christianity and all that stuff. And... That's the plan. Okay. So those but guys kind of leave. That and probably doesn't go according to the plan. Well, first off, you know as a reader that during this council, they say, we are not going to go and accept Christianity. He will kill our sons, but that is what we have to do to maintain honor. Hmm. Like, we're going to send our sons, and they are to be killed. It's going to happen. Wow. Which is rough. That's a big commitment they're making. Yeah. So the, the envoys go knowing this, knowing that there is going to be at least a little bit of treachery there. I think they're still going to be subservient. They're still going to send the gold. They're still going to send the... They just won't accept Christianity. So he hears all this, and Charles calls together his... 12 fellas. And there's a lot of mirroring between the pagans and the Christians here. They're actually, you would, you would expect it not to be as sympathetic to the pagan man, but it really is. It gives Marsile a lot of compliments. It says he's a pretty, pretty grand fella. It, has, it compliments a lot of his peers. It shows that in, in some ways he is pretty honorable. He cares about his people, right? So it, it is sympathetic in some ways and not sympathetic in some others. And one of the ways it's sympathetic is just by showing the two juxtaposed side mm-hmm. by side, perhaps to draw contrast between good and evil, but also perhaps to show that, yeah, this guy's a king in his own right, just like Charlemagne is a king. Is it set up that clearly that one side is good and one side is evil, if, if they're so sympathetic to the other side? Oh, yeah, we're going to get there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it gets, it gets kind of worse as time goes on. So Charlie calls together his 12 peers. Now, these guys are the, like the inner circle of Charlemagne. And he says, what are we going to do? Who are we going to send as an envoy to accept the hostages, accept the price, and, you know, receive the homage from King Marsile? And instantly, a whole bunch of guys volunteer, right? As you would expect of Christian knights. I will go and accept the camels of gold. Yeah. Even though it is hard to do 
Ah, uh, there's a caveat, gentlemen. Oh. Last time they sent envoys to Marsile, they mm-hmm. got killed, right? They cut off both their heads. Oh, dang. That's what, yeah, that's why I'm surprised anyone's signing up. Yeah, it's not a fun errand. Oh, I see. But all of the 12 peers are so valiant that, of course, of course they want to take this upon them. They want to serve their king, yeah. right? It's a dangerous errand. It's one in which you can win glory. You stink and go. Mm. So they all volunteer, including a fellow named Roland, oh. who is Charles's nephew. Now, he says, Roland, I like you. I'm not going to send you. I need my 12 peers close to me. And after they all volunteer and he shoots them all down, he, Roland says, you know what? My uncle... Ganelon would be a pretty good choice. I volunteered Ganelon. Ganelon is not excited about (laughs) this prospect. He does not want to go. Let me see if I can find... Is Roland doing this because he doesn't like his uncle, or is Roland doing this just because Roland thinks that it would be... That Ganelon would want... Is it Ganelon or Ganelon? I don't... Ganelon with an L. And I don't know that... Roland is thinking much at all. Okay. I think he assumes that Ganelon would want would the do same it, honor it's that he yeah, wants. Yeah. He, he volunteered first. It wasn't like he volunteered yeah, 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 Ganelon yeah, yeah. for no reason. Right. So here's, this is Charlemagne responding to Roland. He says, be quiet, both of you. No, or maybe he's actually responding to someone else. Saragossa, Saracen. Yeah, so people are volunteering, volunteering, volunteering. Ganelon has said that this is silly believe no underlying not me not roland who speaks against your good when king marsal sends messengers to say he'll place his hands in yours and be your man he'll do homage for all your lands in spain and he'll observe our holy christian law whoever urges you to scorn this peace does not care sire what kind of death we die a man too proud will recklessly advise let's heed no fools and keep to what is wise so that's ganelon he thinks that the peace is a good idea he doesn't believe that these pagans are capable of treachery mm-hmm. And everyone volunteers. He shoots him down. He says, be quiet. Not you nor he will set foot in that town. And by this beard that you can see is white, I'll teach you. I'll tell you now, the 12 peers all must stay. The French are silent. They dare not disobey. And then eventually he says, choose for me a nobleman of France. My valiant knights, says Charles the emperor, choose for me now the nobleman of France who is to take my message to Marseille. I name, says Roland, stepfather Ganelon. The Franks reply, He'd do it very well. We could not make a wiser choice than this. Count Ganelon, half choking in his rage, pulls from his neck the splendid Martin furs over a tunic made of the finest silk. Steel gray his eyes and very proud his face. His carriage noble, his chest is large around. He looks so handsome, his peers all turn and stare. He says, you fool, rash are your words and wild. Everyone knows I'm stepfather to you, yet you name me the envoy to Marseille? If God should grant that I come home again, I won't forget. Be sure I'll find a way to pay you back as long as you're alive. So he sees this as Roland, like, getting rid of his of his stepfather. Yeah, yeah for He's sure. not happy. And I believe, what does he take off his, he takes take his, his shirt cloak. off? Yeah. <laughs> I hear, says Roland, your foolishness and pride. Everyone knows I answer threats with scorn. A man of wisdom this embassy requires. I'll take your place if the king so desires. He's like, well, you sassing me? Everyone knows I don't take no sass, and I'll do it if the king wants me to. Ganelon says, you shall not take my place. You're not my man, nor am I your liege lord. King Charles commands me to serve him in this way. In Saragossa, I'll talk to King Marsile, but something else, some kind of prank I'll play. He fit says to, this? Yeah. What? Fit to relieve my fury at this wrong. Roland replies with laughter, loud and long. They do not like each wow, other very right. much at this yeah, point. Man, this is... Uh, maybe Roland was trying to get Ganelon. Maybe he was. That's a rough Thanksgiving dinner with the yes. family, right? Yeah, and Count Ganelon eventually says, I have no love for you, for you have wow. swayed this council to your will. 
and he does take the the staff or the gauntlet of King Charles, right? So there's a lot of handing of gloves oh, in yes. this book. I remember that. So can you tell me what the handing of a glove means, Donaldson? Um, ooh. Uh, if I remember correctly, so the king gives his glove to... Is it, So the king is giving his glove to Ganelon, mm-hmm. and then Ganelon is going to go to Saragossa. Not Saragossa. He's going to go to the king, Yeah, so Marcellus, what, is, what does a glove Marcellus represent Wallace. here? That's, that's <laughs> what does Marcellus Wallace look like? <laughs> Um, he's going to go to the king, and then it's going to be proof that he has, that he's got um, the the backing of, of Charlemagne. King's authority, right? But there's also going to be, there, but there's this, there's going to be a, a, a high point of drama in the book, if I remember, where um, uh, one character offers up his glove um, to God. And so there's this idea that if you were yeah, offering spoilers, up, I'm man. just saying you're asking me what it's about, and I'm trying to remember. If you're offering up your glove, it is you are you you are. If you're the king, he's he's using it as like a token, like this this guy's come in my name. But if a younger person is offering up his glove, he's basically saying like I am yours. I I will fight for you. I will die for you. Here is my my. This is like it's like my word. It giving is, my word is it giving. It is kind your of love. like your worldly authority. So yeah. if a lord gives exactly. it to yes, a perfect. vassal, mm-hmm. the vassal goes and he has the authority of his master. Yes. If I give you my glove mm-hmm. to keep, then you have authority over me, right? Yeah. And over all the things that I own. Mm-hmm. So he gives Ganelon the glove, and glove and he and sorry, and glove and Ganelon lets the glove fall to the ground. Oof. I don't know if it's on purpose. I think it's on accident. But, but that's a real bad omen, yeah. right? If I'm letting the... Clang, clang. It's like, oh, They actually, dang. the Frenchmen say, oh, gosh, and I'm switching gosh there. That's, you know, they're saying like, oh, heavens, uh, what does this mean? Surely this message will bring us to our woe, says Ganelon. Your answer won't be slow. So I don't know what his deal It sounds like he did it on purpose. Yeah. yeah. You think that like maybe in retrospect... When Ganelon's, you know, a half day away and you're sitting there at dinner thinking about what has just happened, transpired, you're like, maybe this is a bad idea. Bad idea. Yeah. yeah. And I, as King Charlemagne, he could have said, ah, maybe you're not the fella to do else. this. We'll send someone else that's yeah. not so cross and grumpy. And Charlemagne is there when all this happens? Yeah. He, well, know. he just handed the glove to him. Right. Yeah. And, I feel like he would yeah, back off of that like immediately. Right. And so he goes. And at the envoy, there's some cross words are given at first and they threaten to kill him and he threatens to kill them and everyone's kind of drawing their swords. He draws it, I think it's like six finger lengths out of its scabbard. He's like, oh, I'll kill you all. And then eventually the Saracen that he had rode home with, Ganelon had chatted with him about Roland and said pretty much like, I will be faithful to you if you help me kill this Roland fella. Mm. So the envoys that had come to Charlemagne rode back with Ganelon and they cooked up a plan. So that envoy then says to his king, hey, Marsile, chill. This guy's on our side. Let's hear him out and we'll hear his plan. So he's the treacherous, the treacherous Christian. So the, the treachery that he Ooh. cooks up with King Marsile is this. He says, I will arrange it. Marsile's so pagan, right? Yeah, Marsile. Okay. He says, I will arrange it so that my nephew Roland is in the back of the army and he has the rear guard. And he'll have about 20,000 fellas. And at this point, King Marsile has about 400,000 pagans. Oh, wow. He's got a lot of people. It's not I mean, enough to beat Charlemagne. It's probably not true. Remember, there was probably so, like 20 guys. Cool. <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, they're, they're, they're cooking the books a little yeah. bit on numbers I for sure. This version. Yeah. And, and King, and he says, I'll, I'll cook it up. And then when you go and you kill those 20,000 people, including Roland and all of Roland's buddies, 
Charlemagne will lose the taste for war because he has such strong feelings for Roland, and Roland is always the one that's kind of egging him on and saying, like, let's take the next town. I think there's even one part where it mentions a town that Roland took by himself and then tried to, like, clean up all the bodies and wash up all the blood so no one... He, so he he wouldn't get the glory from Charlemagne for doing it. So Roland clearly just has a taste for battle and war. Yeah. It's the thing he does. So kill him off. You'll make... Charlemagne really sad, he'll lose the taste for war, and you'll have peace forever, and you'll keep your lands. And I'll be rid of my nephew. It's a pretty big if. That's a pretty big gamble, gambling that Charlemagne's going to be like, well, I guess I'm just going to go home now that Charlemagne's, or that Roland's dead. But at the very least, you're cutting off a good chunk of his army with your, the odds heavily in your favor, mm-hmm. right? And it's an ambush, so they don't really know what's coming. So that's the plan. So they, they swear to him fealty, they'll give him gold, they'll give him all these things. So they start just lavishing gifts upon Ganelon, and then Ganelon rides back. And he says, that's the thing, let's put Roland in the back, blah, 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 and he sets it all up so that happens. So Roland takes a, a, couple of the, a couple of his peers, a couple of his buddies, and specifically his friend, Oliver. Oliver's a good dude. Oliver is a good dude. And, and a... Archbishop named Turpin. Oh, Turpin is just a hoss. But if I remember anything about... <laughs> you are not wrong, sir. If I remember anything about Oliver and Roland, I read this, I think this past summer, maybe two summers ago, that mm-hmm. Roland is kind of like a golden retriever of war. Like, he is just... He is happy. He is sunny. He wants to just, like, be a man of action at all times, and nothing is ever bad, and glory is around every corner. And Olivier, or Oliver, is more um, sort of thoughtful and wise and discretion is the better part of valor kind of guy. And Roland's like, discretion is for wimps, <laughs> uh, if I remember correctly. Is that is that fair, Hannenberg? For Roland, yeah. Yeah. Like, Roland is, he, he is, is just, out. he is seeking out, he... Um, Battle. It's not naivete, but it's, he is just, like... If you were going on a road trip with Roland, like, the window would be down and his head would be out of the window and his hair blowing in the wind. He's just going to be like, he, he just loves existing and adventure and um, glory. But it's different than the, like, moroseness of Achilles. There's, like, this joy to Roland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Roland is great. Yeah. He's just a great fella. And they... So Charlemagne kind of weeps he knows that putting roland in the back is not a great thing he knows that it won't come to good and people already are kind of suspicious of but doesn't ganelon basically do a version of like pretty much egging roland on to be in the back like he's like you won't go in the back role and roland's like oh yes i will (laughs) yeah he kind of does i mean of course roland will take any job given to him and roland i mean if he could he'd go by himself and do all of the things Mm -hmm. by himself but he says i'll take twenty thousand men sets it up and then goes and nobody is stoked about this. They all kind of think that he's doomed yeah. in the back. The back is not a great place to be. Not a great place. Armies like to chase, mm-hmm. and that's bad. So he asks, uh, so Duke Naimon is like right next to King Charles, and mm-hmm. he's like, well, what's going on, buddy? Why are you so sad? And he says, who asks me that does wrong? I can't keep silent the sorrow I feel, for Ganelon will be the doom of France. Mm-hmm. Last night an angel sent me a warning dream. I held a spear, and he broke it from my grasp the count who named my nephew to the guard. And I left Roland among that pagan race. Gosh, if I lose him, no one can take his place. Ugh. All right, so he, he kind of 
foresees everyone's this got is some 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 you know some bad uh, some some heebie-jeebies about this situation going on. Yeah, it's not great. Right. And more than that, Charlemagne is kind of shown as this heavenly figure. Mm-hmm. There, he almost doesn't ever do wrong. He made one mistake in sending Ganelon and trusting him. And for the most part, the angels visit him. They send him dreams. They tell him what's going on. He is this kind of holy, beautiful figure. Everyone serves him faithfully because he's so great, because he's so loving. And yeah, he's he is kind of like the the epicenter of good in this whole tale and kind of ties everything together. So anyway, Roland goes in the back. And then we kind of get a roll call of the bad bad guys all getting together. We mm-hmm. learn that there are kind of a 12 peers on the other side mm-hmm. as well. They all get together. And then eventually the treachery they is... They all have horses with names and swords with names. Yeah. If I remember correctly. And the swords with names are like... Oh, I wrote them down. Oh, did you? Yeah, I wrote down a lot of them. So the bad guy's swords are things like "this is gonna hurt" and <laughs> or "I'm get you, I'm, you're gonna get the flu." And then the the good guy's swords are like luminescence, brilliance, happy days, or something like that. Kind of yeah. close. So there's a so Turpin's sword. Mm-hmm. He's a he's oh, an archbishop oh, who, by the Turpin way, is the best. Rex, dude, like really? he is not he's a peaceful guy. Yeah, he's an archbishop from, that from an full archbishop. on cuts people in half. He wrecks. Yeah, he wrecks. What's his sword name? All Mace. This is good. Which is pretty is cool. Mm-hmm. Roland's name is Durandal, mm-hmm. which is great. What does it translate to? Do you remember? Uh, I'm not sure. You want to you yeah, sure give me a Google on that one? Charlemagne's sword is named Joyous or Joyful. Yeah. Joyous is how it's pronounced Joyeux. here. And then the sword of... Well, I'm, I'm not to a couple other characters yet, mm-hmm. who I don't want to introduce until I tell you their Whose horse was named Veontif? I don't know. Which means bright it? eyes. Really? Yeah. <laughs> or no, no, sorry, which means wide awake. Really? Yeah. So if you're, reader, if you're looking for a name for a sword or for a horse, I, I'm not sure there's a better source than this book. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really cool sword names in here. Apparently Charlemagne's sword still exists stuck in a door of a church in France. Yeah. There's we could, we could talk about it. that. You're not allowed to get, take it. I'm going to tell you a little bit more right. about Durandal when we cool. get there. Sorry, uh, Durandal's supposed to mean, it comes from the French word for hard and uh, so might mean strong Dur, sight. Yeah, yeah. Or some translate it as dur plus int, which is strong flame. So, oh, cool. Enduring Damn. is another translation. Hmm. All right. So they, they're they like poking around in the back, Oliver and Roland, and all of a sudden they hear a whole bunch of trumpets mm-hmm. and they take a look and Oliver says, companion, it would seem that we have some Saracens to fight. Ellen Roland replies, God grant you be right. <laughs> Here we will stand, defend our great king. This is the service a vassal owes his lord, to suffer hardships, endure great heat and cold, and in a battle to lose both hair and hide. Now every Frank prepare to strike great blows. Let's hear no songs that mock us to our shame. Pagans are wrong. The Christian cause is right. A bad example, I'll be in no man's sight. And then Count Oliver climbs up on a hill, and then he kind of looks and he says... Coming from Spain, I see the fiery glow of shining hauberks, the blazing steel of helms. For our brave Franks, this means great toil and pain. And that foul traitor, false-hearted Ganelon, knew this. That's why he named us to the guard. Count Roland answers, Stop, Oliver. Be still. Of my stepfather, I'll let no man speak ill. (laughs) And then he climbs up and he kind of looks and Oliver says, Here come the Saracens, a great number no man has a greater number no man has ever seen. The first host carries a hundred thousand shields. Their helms are laced, their hauberks shining bright. From straight wood handles rise banks or ranks of burnished spears. You'll have a battle like none on earth before. Frenchmen, my lords, now God give you the strength to stand your ground and keep us from defeat. They say, 
God's curse on those who quit the field. We're yours till death. Not one of us will yield. So all the Frenchmen, of course, like, let's fight. Woo! And they get really excited. And Oliver then tries to convince Roland to sound mm-hmm. the horn. Yeah, we need help. And the horn is called the Oliphant, mm-hmm. which kind of harkens to Lord of the Rings, right? Sure. The Oliphants. The elephants. I looked it up, and I think Oliphant means kind of like ivory. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense, the connection there. Yeah. And he, I, those guys like to read a lot of this old oh, stuff. for sure. I can almost guarantee you that they have read this book, and I think there's a couple of things that got pulled from here to Lord of the Rings, huh. that being one of them. Oh, and also like sounding the horn... Yeah, the, the objection of sounding the horn and then sounding the horn too late or whatever. Yeah, totally. Yeah. This, this is the thing. That, story yeah, it happens in Lord of the Rings as well. Yeah. And so Oliver says, the pagan might is great. It seems to me our Franks are very few. <laughs> Roland, my friend, it is time to sound your horn. King Charles will hear and bring his army back. And Roland replies, you must think I've gone mad. In all sweet France, I'd forfeit my good name. No, I will strike great blows with Durandal, crimson the blade up to the hilt of gold. To those foul pagans, I promise bitter woe. They are all doomed to die at Roncevaux. And, Ro- and Oliver replies, Roland, my Roncesvalle friend. Roncesvalles is the name of the battle where they fight. Yeah, Roncevaux mm-hmm. is like where they are. Mm-hmm. Let the Oliphant sound. <clears throat> King Charles will hear it. His host will all turn back. His va- valiant barons will help us in this fight. And Roland replies, Almighty God forbid that I bring shame upon my family and cause sweet France to fall into disgrace. I'll strike that horde with my good Durandal. My sword is ready, girded here at my side, and soon you'll see its keen blade dripping blood. The Saracens will curse this evil day. They challenged us, for we will make them pay. And then they, I mean, they go kind of back and forth here for a little while, and... So I sense a flaw in Roland. Isn't this, yeah, I have a really strong sword, so let's, you know... Let's rock and roll. Yeah. Let's do this. This is like a bad idea. Yeah, maybe. 400,000 versus 20,000. Someone tells me... Or at least 200,000, at least. I feel like if we were teaching this to students and we were like, isn't Roland an amazing hero? They'd be like, the guy's an idiot. He should have just blown the horn. We'll get to that discussion in a little bit. And so we are introduced to Archbishop Turpin, who gives everyone last Mm -hmm. rites, promises both martyrdom and heaven. He's like, you die here, you boys are going straight to heaven, my bros. And they're all excited. And then the war... Isn't Turpin like a big dude... And isn't he like, doesn't he fight in his bishop's regalia? Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. I, as far as I know, I, I don't remember it, be, it being talking about his bishop's regalia, but the... The fighting bishops. I mean, he uh, he was wearing armor like yeah, everybody yeah. else. But, but I mean, I think he has a miter on his head from what I remember from this book. But he does kill yeah. people. He's got a big old hammer. Yeah. And let's see. Count Roland hears him, blah, blah, blah. Let's, let's, let's... I want to read First Blood, and then we're going to skip a lot of the fighting. So King Marsile's nephew, Aelroth, is his name. So again, we have the, the coming together of nephew and nephew. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of mirroring here. Mm-hmm. First of the pagans rides out before the host, taunting our Franks with loud, malicious words. So this is Aelroth. Today, foul Frenchman, you'll break a lance with us. You stand here now abandoned and betrayed. The king was mad to leave you at the pass. This day, sweet France, will see its pride cast down. The Emperor Charles will lose his good right arm. Count Roland hears him with what pain and rage. He spurs his horse to run with all its might, levels his lance, strikes Aelroth such a blow his shield is shattered, the hauberk split in two, the pagan's bones crack open in his chest, his broken spine sticks out behind his back so that the spear drives out his very soul. Wow! (laughs) Under the thrust, the body starts to fall and Roland hurls him a spear's length from his horse. He falls down dead, his neck broken in two, 
but still Count Roland gives him these parting words. I feel you get like a little steam achievement pop up. That's yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it'd be called, but. First Blood. Yeah. First Blood. Yeah, obviously. Blink. <laughs> Foul infidel. King Charles is not a fool, nor was he ever unfaithful to his trust. Wisely he chose that we should guard the pass. Sweet France will lose no glory here today. Strike on you, Franks. First Blood will win the fight. Their cause is evil, and we are in the right. And so they go and they fight, and they fight a whole bunch, and I'd say to a man, they kill at least 15 per person. Roland kills far more. We we also see the 12 pagan peers that were introduced. Mm-hmm. Oh, they are all killed wow. pretty pretty quickly, and it kind of goes through the ranks of each one. But it one. is, it's not just like... Like it's dr- it's drawn out so that there is tension. It's not just like and Roland slew them all. Like there is. Yeah, it talks about different guys mm-hmm. that he kills. It talks about each each of the twelve peers is killed in his own way. Oliver's spear eventually breaks, and then he has to pull his sword and start using his sword. Mm-hmm. Uh, a and then as it kind of starts to go against the Franks, right? A storm appears in France to grieve for Roland, wow. and they kill a hundred thousand. Pagans, mm-hmm. these 20,000 Frenchmen, but more are on the way. The second rank of pagans gets gets ready to go. Turpin, of course, ensures, like, encourages them. He says, look, we're all going to die, but let's win some honor, right? Death equals honor and heaven, so rock and roll. And then one of the peers that has gone with Roland dies, and then another dead peer, and then he gets revenged, of course, by someone. The pagans eventually get routed, and they run. Uh, They say, this is too much for us. Muhammad's curse upon the empire fall. There are no men as hard to kill as these. (laughs) So things are going kind of good. Yeah, things, I mean, they are killing a lot of them, but I mean, over time, 20,000 men are just not going to do it. So after a while, they have killed another 4,000 fellas and there's only 60 left and it's, it's getting down there and... Roland again considers the horn. He's like, should I have blown this horn? And Oliver now, or he says, should I blow the horn now? And Oliver dissents. He's like, well, at this point, what does it matter at this point? Yeah, yeah he's going to show up to find us all dead. We might as well rock and roll. Then says the Count, you're angry at me. Why? Because he says, <laughs> Oliver, like, right, buddy. He, he, Oliver says, you'll disgrace your name if you blow the horn. Huh. Each time I asked you, companion, you refused. If Charles were with us, we would not have come to grief. Mm-hmm. No one can say our Franks have been to blame. I promise you, I swear it by my beard. If I should live to see my sister's face, you'll never lie in Odd's sweet embrace. So Odd is the, his betrothed girlfriend, Roland. Mm-hmm. And he's, but he's like, buddy, why, why are you mad? <laughs> Oliver answers, Roland, you are to blame. Allied with reason, courage is not unwise. Mm -hmm. Men of good sense do more for us than fools. You are reckless, and so these Franks have died. Never again will we serve Charlemagne. Had you believed me, my lord would be here now. We would have fought and beat the Saracens. Marsile would be our prisoner or dead. We are the victims of your great prowess now. We won't be there, alas, to help King Charles, a man whose peer will not be seen on earth. And you will die, leaving sweet France to shame. Brothers and ours, we've been until this day. Now we have only a last farewell to say. Wow. So he's clearly mad. Yeah. Archbishop Turpin comes up and he's like, buddies, let's turn down the volume on this argument. So he kind of helps them reconcile. They do kind of part in friendship. But that that seems to be one of the big cruxes is should he have blown the horn or not? Was mm-hmm. it a valiant thing to do or was it a foolish thing to do? Does Roland defend himself? No. Weirdly enough, he doesn't say much to these 
these things that kind of are leveled at him. Yeah. And I mean, all, all he can do is ally himself to courage and to glory and to fighting and believing that God will, whatever the numbers, help him to be victorious. Or if he dies, then he dies. And right. so be or it. if he dies, then he dies, and so be it. And eventually he does sound the horn and he blows it so hard his brains like bonk against his skull and mm-hmm. he almost passes out. Really, he, he blows it like three or four times. Yeah. And then Charlemagne, it's, it's, he's like in France and he hears it in Spain. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, I think they're near the border, oh. so it's not too crazy. But he does hear it, and then Ganelon is like, it's nothing. He, wow. I, he literally says, he'd blow it for a rabbit. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> he loves battle. Come on. He's blowing it for whatever just to get his honks on. Yeah. And and Charlemagne says, I think you're a traitor. And <laughs> just like they, Yeah, pretty much. He decides he's a traitor and figures it out. And so in one of my favorite scenes... Here, I'll, I'll read it to you. King Charles commands that Ganelon be seized, summoning forth all of his household cooks. He tells their chief, Besgan, what should be done. Here is a felon I'm leaving in your charge. He has betrayed the vassals of my house. The cook takes over. A hundred kitchen boys, the best and worst, will guard Count Ganelon. Wow. They pluck the hairs from his mustache and head, and, and sorry, and beard. Each with his fist strikes him four mighty blows, and then they beat him with heavy sticks and clubs. Wow. An iron collar is put around his neck, and then they chain him as if he were a bear. On a mule's back trussed up, he will remain. They'll guard him well and wait for Charlemagne. It is one of the most humiliating defeats a knight could go through. (laughs) Not only is he guarded, he is guarded by By waiters, by cook boys. (laughs) Not even the full-grown cooks. We're talking like the boys. The guy's got like chopped the onion. (laughs) Yeah, and and then they like smack him with sticks. It's so humiliating to a degree that's incredible. It's weird. All the rest of this thing is all about valor. And even the pagans are shown as treacherous and maybe evil, but valorous. He is the only one that is shown in this kind of horrible disgrace. So he deserved it, right? Absolutely. Because he was treacherous. Right. Yeah. So everything kind of starts going downhill. Eventually, there are only a few fellows left. Uh, Oliver dies. and then It's sad when Oliver dies. Then it's like uh, Turpin and another guy, Mm -hmm. and they're the only ones left, and then the other guy dies, and then... Don't they shoot Turpin full of arrows? Yeah, eventually... They've killed so many pagans that the pagans kind of freak out and they say, we don't want to face these last three guys. Let's just throw our sticks at them and leave. And in that last volley, they do enough damage Mm -hmm. to kind of ensure the death of all three. Mm. And Roland is mortally wounded. Mortally wounded. So is Turpin. And Turpin is like, his like brains are coming out of his head. And so Roland says, look, I'm going to try to get as many bodies here as I can and you can bless him before you die. And so he drags all these bodies over, Mm -hmm. lays them down at the feet of Turpin. Turpin blesses them and then dies. And Roland, as he has always sworn, goes a little ways off and tries to break his sword so Mm -hmm. no one can take it. And Durandal has all kinds of crazy stuff and it's got like a tooth from St. Peter and a hair from Mother Mary and all this other stuff in the hilt. And so it is a sword of God and he can't, Imagine it coming into Saracen control. It's a collector's control. item. It really is. <laughs> or it's the, the... It's another steam achievement. Another steam achievement. You, <laughs> get, you get Durandal like after you hit a certain level. Yeah. And so he, he decides but he's he going to break it. But he break it? He can't. He, can't he finds it. four marble, like big marble stones and starts swinging at them. But all it does is cut pieces off the marble. Right. And, and he like wedges it in there and tries to like yank it and you jank it back and forth and he can't do it. Meanwhile, he's dying. Yeah, he's, he's like... Eventually, it says like he's going blind and his ears kind of open and brains start coming out. Like, mm-hmm. He's not he's not in a good he's, he's way. He's in a bad spot. Yeah. yeah. And eventually, he dot he like decides that the best he can do is 
Doesn't he like bury it? Or no, he decides he's going to fall on top of it when he dies. So that no he's going to lay on it. Yeah, he's gonna so lay that on they it. can't find it. He's just going to lay on his okay. sword and hope they don't find it. And in the meanwhile, as he's like looking for a place to die, one of the pagans had been faking it the whole time mm. and jumps up and is like, I'm going to get you. And he goes, what are you doing? And then hits him with his horn and kills the guy, like smacks his eyes out of his head, breaking the horn in the process um, or at least damaging it. And so he lays on both his sword uh, and his horn, turns his face towards the enemy and then dies wow. as he was always oh, looking for but doesn't battle. he hold his glove up yeah so oh. this is the one of the scenes where he takes his arms and he holds them up in prayer to heaven mm-hmm. and the angels take his glove they take Wait, his really? worldly authority mm-hmm. yeah That's and cool. then when he dies they take his soul wow and it's it's this beautiful timeless moment when it happens that's right yeah so he offers up his worldly authority to heaven and he holds his he holds his glove and the angels descend and take it and then take his soul yeah, That's it's cool. it's pretty great. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm gonna try to maybe hustle through a little bit of this because there's some interesting conversation. Is that that, him dying? No, no, no. Oh, really? gosh, no. So after he dies, Charlemagne kind of shows up on the scene, having heard the horn. Right. In the meantime, as Charlo, as this has all been going on, a guy named Balagant, who's one of the greatest kings of the Saracens. Is Isn't it the he? Saracens? He's he's a king of the uh, of Babylon, essentially. Yeah. And the all the pagans from all around. He's like one of the biggest Babylon Babylonian pagan kings that has ever existed. Again, like showing a complete like, misunderstanding lack of, knowledge of Arab of, culture of the of like of yeah of the Arabs and Islam. He's like, ah, oh, then the big bad guy is gonna be I don't know Babylon. All right, let's put him in there. Arab, <laughs> yeah. he's Arab, and, and not only that, but it brings like a f- bunch of folks from Africa yeah. and Moors <laughs> yeah. and like Spaniard. He's just like everybody. Everybody that we don't really understand and is kind of a different color, we're going to lump them in together. It's like if you did an action movie and you're like, all right, we need all the enemies. We're going to get communists and then we're going to throw in like... Maybe Russians. Yeah. Are they communists? Yeah, and then like... Maybe. If this movie was in the 70s, you'd have like... Eskimos. North, Vietno- <laughs> North Vietnam and like you're getting all the people that are sort of like the traditional bad guys that maybe you don't have any mixed with terrorists but yeah, the terrorists yeah, yeah. Are, are vaguely unattached yeah. to any uh, anybody else and then there's giants yeah. <laughs> like that's kind of <laughs> exactly that, that's kind of who this guy rules and so Balagant shows up and what happened is seven years ago when Charlemagne first attacked uh-huh. he sent a hey I need help to Balagant Balagant put out a call to his 40 kingdoms for all the people to gather they have finally gathered and oh, he finally shows years. up on the shores after seven years wow. so he shows up and he's like alright and he sits down on this big ivory throne and he is like the big bad, uh-huh. right? We've we've kind of bested Marsile. By the way, he lost his son and had his hand cut off, and so he's in a bad way. Mm-hmm. That's bad. I kind of glossed over that, yeah. but Marsile did not fare well in this battle, and he's in the process of dying when Balagant finally shows up. Balagant comes and he says, all right, we're going to take on Charlemagne, and he's like, well, I'm dead. I have no hand. <laughs> and the good news is Charlemagne, who had chased all the, all the Spaniards back to Saragossa, he's like, he's nearby. He just chased mm-hmm. us all back into this stronghold, so he's like half he a day's march. Yeah. Charlemagne at the at this moment is like dreaming that this is happening. And on the chase back, the god had like held the sun in the sky so that they'd have time to do it. So there are miracles associated mm-hmm. with their victories. So Balagant gathers our, all his folks. And like I said, he's the big bad. He is the big bad. He has a spear literally named Evil. <laughs> and he heard that Charlie's sword was named Joyous. Mm-hmm. And so he named his Precious. <laughs> Ah, mm-hmm, uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. Lord of the Rings also. Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings, right? Yeah. So I was thinking it had like the precious kind of has to be the thing coming from the pagan king. Huh. I mean, it makes sense to me. Anyway, he gathers all his fellas and it is 30 different divisions of over 50,000 people each oh. versus what 
is 100,000 men with Charlemagne. Charlemagne. Okay. So it's about 15x, right, what he's got as to what Charlemagne's got. Sounds like this would go poorly. Yeah, so he gathers all his people, decides he's going to do it, and he even sends envoys to say, hey, we're going to come kill you, so buckle up for war. And he kind of gathers them all, and there's a, it's a wide cast of characters. We've got giants, we've got Moors, we've got Ethiopians, we have a race of people who's, they have kind of bristly spines down their back like pigs. Huh. And they have dudes that have skin so thick they don't care for armor and they don't wear it and they're really hard to kill. And it is made very clear that this is the side of evil. Mm. They, When the tribes are described, it says they have no care for our Lord. They don't honor God. They do all these horrible things. They worship magic. They worship all these pagan idols. And it's made very clear who's on the right and who's on the wrong. But at the same time, we have the mirror of, of Charlemagne and his fellows girding up. So they meet in battle. A battle ensues, as you can imagine. And Balagant's nephew gets killed by Charlemagne. So as Charlemagne lost his nephew, Roland, mm. so Balagant's nephew is also killed. And again, a weird mirror. And the battle rages on, the battle rages on. Eventually, Charlemagne is victorious. He kills all of the pagans, or at least routs them. And then he goes back to Spain after having taken Marsile's wife and converted everybody or killed him. He's like, you guys all get to be Christians. They went through that that the Saragossa stronghold, breaking up all the pagan idols and busting them up with hammers and stomping them. And by the way, Marsile, Marsile's wife and all his men had done that earlier because huh. they had lost the battle. They're like, you gods are worth nothing. You didn't do anything for us. So they had already kind of toppled them. So the Christians came in and just sort of finished the job and then hung anybody or killed anybody that wouldn't convert. Yeah. So they all head back to France with Ganelon in tow and Marsile's wife and decide to have a trial. And so for, for Ganelon, oh, who oh. was treacherous. Yep. The, the woman, she's being given scripture, right? Okay. They're, they're preaching the gospel to her and hoping she'll convert. Cool. And th- so they bring all these people together and Ganelon happens to have a pretty awesome family. And oh man, the, he has this big relative named Pinabel, which sounds like a small relative, right? Like <laughs> right. Tinkerbell. Yeah. He's a big guy. And so all of the other lords get together and for fear of Pinabel and his reprisals they say we we should let we should let Ganelon go mm. like nothing we do is going to bring Roland back Ganelon has a lot of money he'd be a faithful serf he would love and Ganelon says I hated Roland he cost me wealth goods and honor like I guess they had some previous beef that he kind of brings up and he says I betrayed him I didn't betray you right I got him killed I didn't get which yeah. is a weak argument it is, yeah and so everybody except a but, small fella named Theory. But Ganelon is admitting that he did something wrong. Or he is admitting that he's the reason Roland is dead. He says he got revenge on Roland. Yeah. He didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. And all the, guy, all, the, all the people in this council say they should let Ganelon go. Mm-hmm. Theory, T-H-I-E-R-R-Y. Thierry. Thierry? Thierry. Is the only one that says, we, it was a whore. He's, he's a traitor. We should kill this guy. And Pinabel has sworn to Ganelon that if anybody tries to cross you, I will support you in a trial by combat, which still happens back then. Which sucks, because Pinabel's like a he's tank. A, yeah, he's a tank. He's yeah. a huge person. And it describes Tyri, and he's not that big. You can't call him tall, and you can't call him short. He's just sort of a medium-sized fella. Oh, no. This sounds like, again, this sounds like it would go very poorly for him. Yeah, it's not, things aren't going well. And so they, they eventually come together to fight, because he says we should kill him, and... King Charlemagne takes the 30 relatives of Ganelon as hostages to ensure that this fight goes and lets Ganelon go free and lets them take a fight, presumably with Charlemagne being the hostage for Tyri. 
So they fight. And both of them ride towards each other, completely shiver their spears, eventually hop off, and they're going at it sword to sword. And there's sparks coming off the armor, and it's all this crazy thing. And eventually, Pinabel gets a sword inside the helmet of Tyri Mm -hmm. and cuts him down the cheek, and he's bleeding all over the place. And everyone's like, oh, this isn't going really well. And then... Tiri, in a one final flourish, turns, cuts clean through the helmet wow. of Pinabel, spilling his brains and ending the whole affair. And then they're like, well, that's done. Clearly God wants this guy killed. <laughs> exactly. So they hang Ganelon's entire family huh. of 30 people oh, wow. because your evil can spread to the to others. The family, yeah. And then they have Ganelon quartered. The end. Well, <laughs> there's one last thing. Oh, yeah. So Charles goes to sleep in his chamber. And then in the middle of that night, an angel comes in a dream and says, hey, there's another Christian king in trouble. You got to go to war. And he's like, I don't want to. And I will read you the end. This is just the last little stanza. The Emperor Charles, once justice had been done and his great anger is finally appeased, has Bramimond, which is the queen, uh, Marsile's wife, baptized into the faith. The day is over and the dark of night. The king lies sleeping in his high vaulted room. St. Gabriel is sent by God to say, Charlemagne, summon your empire's mighty hosts. You'll march in force into the land of Bayer. You must relieve King Vivian at Imphi, where pagans hold his city under siege, and Christian voices are crying for your help. The Emperor Charles has no desire to go. Gosh, says the king, how weary is my life. <laughs> he pulls his beard and tears flow from his eyes. Here ends the poem, for Charoldus declines. It's okay. yeah. And we don't know who Tyraldus is. It's either a scribe or poet. Mm-hmm. I prefer to think it's the poet. I don't think a scribe would write himself into a tale. Mm-hmm. Right. So the ending is like, there is no cease to your bloodshed and your toil. Right. Poor Charlemagne. More, yeah, more is coming. And so, all right. Happy so what ending. are the, uh, so what are the themes, Sandenberg? What's the, uh, what's your takeaway when you read this? I mean, it's a great adventure tale. And like Roland, if you, if you kind of spin Roland off from the rest of, the story and sort of the big overarching politics of these two kingdoms, like he is an attractive character. For his, sure. his bravery. His bravery is so attractive. But his his sort of headstrongness and what Oliver says to him, which is really true, it's like reason courage decoupled from reason is a is a dangerous is thing. Is a dangerous thing. Yeah. And uh, I mean they part as friends eventually. Mm-hmm. There's one moment where Oliver accidentally hits him in the face with a sword because mm-hmm. he's he's gone blind mm-hmm. from his wounds mm-hmm. and he's like, ah, a dude, and he kind of takes a swing and Roland is like, oh man, did you, <laughs> did you mean did you that? mean to do that? And he's like, oh no, I'm sorry, I was just swinging my sword around. I mm-hmm. thought somebody was there, and so they they do part as friends. Mm-hmm. But still, you're right. It so the introduction that I read says there is no clear message or theme. Yeah, I think there's plenty to talk about. Mm-hmm. There's the question of should Roland have blown the horn? That whole reason versus courage thing. If we have faith in God, does that mean we should have faith? Like in that kind of instance, should our faith carry us through when we would want to kind of revolve and rest only on reason, Mm -hmm. right? Or at least bring reason into the question when we should just say, look, these are the circumstances I've been given and I can be faithful and fight in my circumstances. Mm -hmm. So that's one question. The other one is... In this book, there is a clear delineation between right and wrong. Pagans are wrong. Christians are right. That's very clear. And and the wrongness of pagans leads them to evil, right? And not only that, but it's like really sketchily kind of tied to their physical characteristics. Like yeah. there's, some, there's some pretty clear racism in here, partially seemingly born out of just unfamiliarity. Yeah. They're not saying like black skin is bad. They think these people are bad and they happen also to be black. And they're just unknown. Yeah. I mean, it's, it still seems like there's 
pretty clear racism. Well, I mean, the very fact that they're worshiping like Apollo alongside these other gods, like it is, it's just born out of who, out of the the Franks of the, you know, this, uh, whenever this was written in the, in the, you know, ninth century, 10th century, it's just, it's just born out of a complete, you know, we just, they just don't know anything about the world. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, all right, well, who are the people that we fought in the past? Let's just, and we'll write them in and then we'll throw in all these fantastic um, yeah. elements of badness yeah. that we can think of. Like we'll giving, get together all the big bads. Yeah. Um, so that means that like, it, it's a difficult read as modern people right. to read it because of, um, yeah, just because of its of, of uh, how they characterize the enemies. As a Christian, I have a hard time reading it just being with the whole idea that Christians should mobilize armies to fight for the faith is even so, its own troubling. That was the other big question I had. So the notion that France should go and conquer pagans mm-hmm. is, a, is tough to grapple with yeah. as a Christian. And I, I'm, let, me, let me be clear here. I am not promoting violence as a way to promote Christianity. Yeah, but I, in that sense, I don't think it's tough to grapple with. I think it's easy to say, like, this is... It's a bad idea. This is a bad idea. And then the ending of the book even kind of lends it to it, where Charlemagne is like, how weary my life is. He doesn't want to do it again. He doesn't want to do it again. Um, but at the same time, once the battle is there, it's the, the stakes of the spiritual situation of Europe are at hand, right? If Charlemagne loses... Pagans rule the day and will rule both Spain and France. And it's not like modern day where the ideas are still there and accessible. Mm-hmm. If he kills off Christianity, he kills off Christianity for Europe and dooms, at least in Charlemagne's mind, the souls of men for the ensuing right. future. It's not just the souls of his men currently. It's the souls of all of Europe for the foreseeable future. If Christianity loses, Christianity is gone. If he defeats the pagans, Christianity wins and will be the ruling religion for everyone from here on out so i i mean it definitely shows the mindset of the author now as you pointed out early like he didn't this have was to... not the reality in, in on the ground like right. this isn't this was never true yeah this was never true and even if it was he never had to go in, into spain conquering sure yeah he exactly. could have he could have gone to spain spreading the gospel and offering peace mm-hmm. which is a much better way to spread it but once the battle is there i am at least i at least understand the author's perspective on the fate of Europe resting on a little bit on this battle. Sure. Which, which is kind of a, just a tough thing to think about, right? As you, as you kind of go in, it's, it's definitely, definitely not easy for the modern mind to deal with, but those were the circumstances. Is this one that you read it with the students? Mm-mm. No, no, we don't have this on the curriculum. If, if anything, it would be in my class in 10th grade. Yeah. You think so? It wouldn't be middle ages. I mean, I teach stuff that, Pops around right around a thousand, Beowulf, hmm. and thirteen hundred with the Inferno. Yeah, no fair point. Yeah, maybe it, w- it would be a ninth or a tenth grade book. Yeah, it'd be r- right at the end of ninth grade or right at the beginning of tenth. Um, but no, we don't teach it. I mean, mainly because, um, like you said, there's it, it's it, there's not like a there's not like a big moral ending. This is it's just kind of like an it's basically like an action movie of the day, and 
like with all action movies, you watch it 30 years later and you look back and you're like, ooh, there's some troubling things in here. <laughs> like when you watch R- uh, Rambo 4, like Rambo 4 is fighting with the Mujahideen in in uh, Afghanistan against the Russians. He is fighting with Al-Qaeda. And wow. it actually says at the end of Rambo 4, like this movie is dedicated to the brave Mujahideen of the Taliban fighting the Russian forces. That's the postscript of Rambo 4. And then you watch it later, you're like, ooh. This is things have changed a little bit. Things have changed a little bit, and so that's that was what was going on in my mind whenever when I read Roland the first time. It's like this is um, you know in the the light of so they're writing you know it's being written in the ninth century, the tenth century, and then in the light of of how the the fate of Europe has played out in the relationship between uh, Europe and the East. especially with like the Byzantine Empire and then going into, you know, just even in modern times, you look at this and you're like, this is a, this is an artifact that hasn't aged well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get the, but yeah, you're right, Hanenberg, in the, in the sense that um, for the people of the time when they're reading it, it's, it's the, um, the idea that there are forces out there that... Um, uh, would like to see your way of life That would like crushed. to see your way of life completely done away with and they... Are and that's a possibility. And so when they kill Gandalf, they are forces in motion. Like like they are in Spain, and then also they were in um, uh, the battle of oh man, what was the, the, the there was a, the big battle that was essentially in Vienna in Austria. There was um, I can't remember the uh, the there was a, a a battle in the east that is essentially slammed the door on the spread of Islam very early when Islam was was going all through North Africa and the Middle East and through Turkey and then south uh, up through Spain. There was a big fight in um, what was essentially like Hungary or, or Austria. And um, Yeah, so this is not just the movement of power. It's also the movement of ideas. Of, of ideas and yeah. peoples and, um, so and I, ways I, of life. And you could have your way of life completely blotted out. And so when, you, when it seems extreme to have Ganelon's whole family killed for his treachery, mm-hmm. well, think about what he was risking. Mm-hmm. He didn't just risk Roland. If, if the Saracens or the, the Spaniards decided to attack full on to Ike's where they lived, that meant the death of the entire community. Mm-hmm. Everybody dies or is converted or taken captive or like horrible things would happen. And so I understand more why they made an example of the family. Treachery, that kind of thing is the thing that means the death of your whole, the possible death of your whole community. Mm-hmm. So it's something you have to punish severely. Yeah, it's definitely a story that's talking about like an existential threat. Yeah, um, not just a battle that was dissociated. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's not a comfortable, a comfortable read as modern people. No, for um, sure. And it's it's also not that super easy of a read. I think at least first time through. Mm-hmm. I think if you have this summary, it helps a little bit because you know where things are going and you know that there's action to come. There's a lot of action. If you're a guy that likes swords and horses and blood and that sort of thing, there is plenty mm-hmm. to be found. But is there all, so then is there a lot of talking also? Or yeah, the, the, that's the thing is I feel like it's a pretty well balanced. If it's an action mm-hmm, movie, it's mm-hmm. a well balanced one. It's got some. It's good. Good pacing. It's got some. <laughs> good, it's got some real solid pacing. Four out of five stars from classical mm-hmm. stuff. Good. Yeah, the I, I would recommend it as a read. It's very interesting at the at the very least and a good example of medieval literature. Uh, one thing I wanted to start doing on this is. Uh, reading one star Amazon reviews of classics. Oh gosh. So have you guys ever done this? Uh, where yeah, I've looked at them. But when you, yeah. when you choose a new, like a widely held classical book, mm-hmm. go and read the one star reviews. You can actually, there's a radio show called wits 
and it's pretty it's pretty famous and you can they do a, a whole bit where they have famous comedians and voice actors read one star Amazon reviews of that's classical fun. literature. That's funny. So I don't think it, when we when I started doing this for great books, I read we read the one star reviews of Moby Dick. We read the re- one star reviews of, you know, whatever. Here's the best one I could find for the song of Roland. The title. Help, help, rescue me from its awful clutches. <laughs> <laughs> this is really the worst book okay. I have ever read. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I've read a lot of books, and some were really bad, but this is the worst. Okay. It's so poorly translated that it makes me horribly depressed every time I try to read it. I haven't finished it yet. Oh, man. <laughs> I did really enjoy the introduction for the historical background information regarding the Song of Roland and the culture surrounding its, its appearance. But dear heavens, save yourself. Get another translation. If you just want to know what it's about, I'll tell you. Roland and others, for instance, Oliver, fight against the pagans in medieval Spain. And there's two comments on this comment. Comment number one by D's is, you are illiterate. Comment number number two by sick of it all is, excellent review. (laughs) Those are the two. Ah, it's so great. That's awesome. This is the new classical stuff, a segment that we do at the end of the I, podcast. I like it. I think if, as long as we're introducing books, I don't see why we can't pull it in. It's up on the internet for anyone to read. So, so Hannah, like what's the final thought we can we should leave with with the song of Roland? The thing I'm kind of leaving with is where where do faith and reason come in circumstances that call for your action? What balance should be found? So Roland found himself in a situation where he could blow the horn or not, mm-hmm. and if he had gone the reasonable direction, he would have blown the horn. Mm -hmm. He went the honorable, faithful direction and said, we, like, we're going to fight. That's what we're called to do. And yes, he was probably a little bit foolhardy, but if he had won, we probably would have called him faithful. Mm -hmm. So in that situation, what is the, what is the balance there? Is, should it be valor wedded to reason or should it be faithfulness wedded to faithfulness? Mm -hmm. And or faithfulness wedded to valor. That, that's kind of the the fun balance I've got bonking around in my head right now. Hmm. Bees? Anything? I haven't read it before. I'm just wondering, but even just based on the discussion or based on Hannenberg's... That same question there of I mean, probably, yeah, probably the main point is what should he have done in mm-hmm. that moment of blowing the horn or not? I doubt that the original listeners would have thought as much about the uncomfortable aspects that we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. So I would guess that its intention is about courage. Mm-hmm. I think it's an I, example as as courage for knights, right? Because then I wonder even, was Roland showing courage or was he being foolhardy? I just, yeah, the thing that, that I was struck with is um, that all is not healthy in the Christian camp at the beginning of the story. There is interpersonal conflict between mm-hmm. Ganelon and, and Roland. And that interpersonal conflict in, in a family uh, eventually spreads itself out to creating... Um, the situation that everyone finds itself in, the, the sort of the, the terrible, the, the the terrible bloodshed. So there's this idea that yeah. like if you don't, you know, if you don't have, if you don't have harmony in your own home, um, no matter how noble or honorable you are, you're not really going to have harmony. There's it's, it's going that sort of is going to spread its its itself out to the community. So even if though they come down real hard on the other side, on the, you know, the big bad guys here, are the big bad guys, and um, there's enough. Um, small interpersonal conflicts that uh, that metastasize into you know these bad relationships cause Ganelon bad blood, which is going to make you know he's going to do this treacherous thing. And I don't know. I, Charlemagne's Charlemagne's incredulous. Charlemagne's just like 
uh, tiredness at the end of the story to me is 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 like a big tell with the author that that it's not hey guys this isn't just amazing awesome like raw raw go team let's kill the bad guys but there's a but there's a question a on top of it. there's this weariness yeah. about about the about you know the sort of this world of conflict. I find it interesting that Ganelon doomed not only a lot of the Franks, but mm-hmm. he also doomed uh, an incredible number of infidels as well. Mm-hmm. The, the interesting, yeah. I mean, his treachery caused this battle to happen and yeah. meant mm-hmm. the deaths of two hundred thousand of Marsile's men and mm-hmm. meant the deaths of innumerable innumerable more of uh, Balagant's men mm-hmm. and all of the Franks. Yeah. It was that treachery that caused it. It could have been ended in peace. Right, the death of some hostages and a refusal to take the Christian faith, and that was it. Twenty guys, mm-hmm. right? Twenty or thirty folks. That's it. So, instead, it had to be this battle. Instead, it had to be this big, huge thing. Cool. All right. Well, good. Uh, this has been classical stuff. You should know. You can find us online at classicalstuff.net. You can find us on Twitter at classical stuff. C L S S C A L stuff. You can email us at classical stuff at veritasacademy.net. And I think. That's it. Am I missing anything? As far as that's yeah. that's fine. Sounds good. Well, We're anyway. back on the airwaves. We are yep. back. After and a hiatus. Sorry again for the missed week. But this has been Graham, AJ, and Thomas signing off. Mm-hmm. Bye. Mm-hmm.